This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. We're going to read Luke 23, verse 33 and verse 34. Look what it says. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Let us pray. God, as we bow our head today, Holy Spirit, I ask you, would you deal with the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls? Because unless you penetrate the hearts of the people, they can't come to know you. And I'm praying for a harvest today. I'm praying for a harvest of souls that people are going to come to know you today. Have your will, have your way. Bind any distractions. And for all you do, We're going to praise you, for I pray this prayer with a grateful heart, for I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about the last words of Jesus, the last words of Jesus. I knew I was going to be preaching this message, and in light of that, I started researching famous people. And I started researching what were some of the last words of famous people. I researched and I found out Queen Elizabeth said these words. I'd give all my possessions for one moment of time. I'd give all my possessions for just one moment of time. All the possessions in the world won't replace time. Sir Winston Churchill. I love what Sir Winston Churchill said. He said, I'm just bored with it all. I'm just bored with it all. I love Sir Winston Churchill. He served in the parliament with a lady named Lady Astor. And he and Lady Astor would would bicker back and forth. And she said to him one time, she said, Churchill, you're just a deplorable drunk. He said, yes, and you're ugly, and I'll be sober tomorrow. (laughs) She said to Sir Winston Churchill on one occasion, she said, Winston Churchill, If I was married to you, I'd give you rat poison. He said, if I was married to you, I'd drink it. Amen. (laughs) Steve Jobs' last words were, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. The baseball player, Joe DiMaggio, one of the most famous Yankees of all time. Joe DiMaggio said these words. His literally last words were, I finally 
get to see Marilyn again. Talking about Marilyn Monroe that he was married to. I finally get to see Marilyn again. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King on the day that he was shot in Memphis said to a musician by the name of Ben Branch, he said, tonight, Ben, at the event, play the song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord. Take My Hand, Precious Lord. Now, folks, I feel about like half of me is here today. I served as 10 years as the president of our denomination, and as a going-away gift, they, uh, they gave me a trip to England. <laughs> And I took that trip to England this week. And so I'm jet lag, I'm about half of me's here. But while I was in England, I went to Charles Spurgeon's church, the, the, the prince of preachers, the, the prince of preachers. And that Spurgeon's last words were, my work is done. My work is done. And folks, I wanna remind you that we're immutable until God's through with us. We're immutable. You say, well, I worry about my loved one, that job or that position. Or uh, somebody said to me, Pastor, do you worry about getting on airplanes? No, no, no. If, if God wants me, he don't need an airplane to get me. Because our work is, we're immutable until our work is done. Had the opportunity to go to John Wesley's church. It was neat to be able to stand in John Wesley's pulpit, go to his house. I went to his little bedroom there and I, I saw the bed on which John Wesley, the father of Methodism, died on. I, I saw his bed and I quickly moved from his bed to his little prayer room and just knelt down there at his prayer room and thought about all the times that John Wesley had knelt down there and prayed. John Wesley's famous last words were, best of all, God is with us. Best of all, and I want to remind you today, folks, best of all, God is with us. Amen? Best of all, God is with us. Now, look, I thought about these famous people, and I could go on and on, and I thought about the famous last words, but I want to tell you, the most famous person ever was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, when he hung on that cross, when he was suspended between heaven and earth, when he went on that cross at nine in the morning and stayed till three in the afternoon, he had some famous last words. He made seven statements, seven statements that had to be difficult because when a person died on the cross, how they actually died is they suffocated. They suffocated. Why he suffocated? Because your hands and your nails were, 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 were nailed to the cross. And to breathe, you would have to push up and stretch the diaphragm. You, you pushed up. And when you got to the point that you could not push up anymore, you would literally smother to death. And Jesus, six hours on the cross. I've never done this before, but I started researching what order did he say these things? He said seven things from the cross, but what order did he say them? It was nine to three, but what was the chronological order of what he said? Let me give you what he said from the cross. 
The first thing that he said from the cross, and I think it's so appropriate that this would be first because it's the reason why he went to the cross. It was words of forgiveness. It was words of forgiveness. I, I love what he said. The people who nailed him to the cross, ladies and gentlemen, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he made that statement, he made it in the imperfect tense. And in the Greek language, that's the continuous tense. What does that mean, pastor? It means over and over, he said, Father, forgive them. When they spit in his face, he said, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. When they plucked his beard, he said, Father, forgive them when they don't know what they do. When they put a blindfold on him and smote him and said, who it is? Who is it that hit you? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. When they nailed him to the cross, when he hung there in agony, he literally said, Father, forgive them. I'm talking about the men who nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. By the way, if we're gonna be like Jesus, it's gotta be, Father, forgive them. It's gotta be, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now, here's what's amazing. He prayed that prayer. Father, forgive them. 40 days later, Peter preaches on Pentecost to the men who nailed him to the cross. You say, preacher, you don't know that. Yes, I do. Look what Acts 2.36 says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made the same Jesus whom you crucified. Literally, Peter said, you crucified him. You nailed him to the cross. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You nailed him to the cross. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You said, Pastor, what happened? Acts 2.41. 3,000 souls gave their life to God. What happened? God heard the prayer of his son and forgave. And by the way, that's still what Jesus is saying. Father, forgive them. Now wait, I'm gonna to move to point two, but I want you to understand something that I've had to learn. Let me say this. Let me tell you something that I didn't have to learn. Let me, let me rephrase that. Let me tell you something I'm learning. The greatest blessings of your life will be tied to forgiveness. You say, Pastor, I want God to do something great in my life. The greatest blessings of your life will always be tied to forgiveness. I want you to get this. The first thing he said was words of forgiveness. Let, let, me, let me tell you the second thing he said. I'm trying to hurry. Oh, I will. <laughs> Listen. They were words of unlimited grace. They were words of unlimited grace. Look what the scripture says. 
And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Stay there with me, men. You've got to understand, on each side of Jesus, there was a thief. But they had to be more than just stealing because stealing was not capital punishment. They were a murderer. They were insurrectionists. They were something more. But on each side of Jesus, there was a thief. Now, get this. One thief looks over at Jesus, and he says, why don't you save yourself and us? Now, wait. He didn't want Jesus. He wanted down from the cross. What I've learned a lot about people, about a lot of people, is they don't want Jesus, they want down from the cross. Uh, uh, God, uh, uh, send my wife back and I'll live for you. No, no, if he don't send her back, you live for him. God, if you touch my body, I'll, I'll, I'll live for you, God. No, no, if he touches your body, glory. But if he don't touch your body, make up your mind. I'm gonna live for Jesus. If God spares my loved one, Lord, if you let her live, I'll live for you. No, if he don't let her live, you still live for him. Many times, folks, we just walk down from the cross. We just want out of the tough situation we're in. But get this. The second thing that happened is the thief said, when you come into your kingdom... Remember me. Now, wait. Why did, why did he have so much confidence in this man that he had just met? I'll tell you why. Because he saw him nail him to a cross. And he saw Jesus say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You tell me your actions don't matter. You tell me your response don't matter. Oh, it does matter, folks, because somebody was watching. In this case, it was a thief watching. And he said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You get this, folks. The world said he wasn't fit to live on earth, but Jesus said he's fit to live in heaven. Amen? He's not fit to live on earth, the world said, but Jesus said he is fit to live in heaven. And you know what that shows me? That God never gives up on people. Was the third thing he said? It was words of care. It was words of care. Look at what he says. Then Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. Now get this. Jesus saw his mother and Jesus had 12 disciples, but the one he really loved was standing there. Now, who wrote this? John said, I'm the one he really loved. Always remember, the best of men are men at best. I'm the one he really loved. He says to his mother, Mom, behold your son. He said, Mom, all my life I've been your son. But I'm no longer your son. I'm now your savior. See, all my life I've been your child. But today, mom, you're my child. And he said, by the way, by the way, behold your son. 
John's your son now. And then he looked at John and he said, John, behold your mother. You, John, she's your mom now. Take her into your house. She's your mom. Take care of her. Now, now here's, the, here's the point I want, I want you to see, folks. Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Why didn't he look at one of those brothers and say, take care of mama? But he looked at this guy, John. And you know what that shows me? Many times spiritual relationships are closer than fleshly, earthly relationships. You say, I don't have a relationship with my sister. I'm sorry, but maybe God's trying to give you a spiritual sister. I don't have a relationship with my child. Well, maybe God's trying to give you a spiritual child. Many times spiritual relationships, and then I want to move past this. But by the way, Jesus was dying, but he said, take care of mom. Take care of mom. He, 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 He made sure, ladies and gentlemen, he made sure that he took care of his responsibilities. Hey, this is all I'm going to say. Men, you have a responsibility to take care of your family. Jesus was dying. You say, are you preaching against women working? No, no, no. You're missing what I'm saying. But men, you have a responsibility to take care of your family. You say, well, me and the wife divorced. Hey, you may have divorced her, but you didn't divorce the children. You've still got a responsibility. They're still your children. You have a responsibility to take care of your family. I don't know what the specific Lord's will is for every man, but I'll tell you what the Lord's will is for you. That is to be the protector, provider of your family and to take care of your family. And we've got too many deadbeat dads that ought to be taking care of family. And that'd be a good place to say amen. The fourth thing he said were words of agony. Words of agony. You said, what, what, what are you saying? Well, in Matthew 27, verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look, look here's one thing I'd, I'd learned from that. Let your pain push you to prayer. Let your pain push you to prayer. Anything that causes you to pray more can be a blessing. Let let, let your pain push you to prayer. He said, you said, Pastor, why did he say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, get this. At 12 o'clock in the day, everything literally went totally dark. You said, preacher, there must have been an eclipse. No, it was Passover season. The moon was at full strength. At 12 o'clock in the day, God cut the lights out. And it was dark from 12 to 3. Now get this. What happened when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, ladies and gentlemen, he became our sin. 
See, think about the guilt you have felt when you sinned. No, no, not the person. Think about the guilt you have felt. You say, Pastor, have you felt it? Oh, I felt it. Think about the guilt you felt. All the guilt of our sin, the guilt of the pedophile, the guilt of the murder, the guilt of the terrorist, the guilt of genocide, the guilt of rape, the guilt of racism, the guilt of adultery, the guilt of, of whatever gross sin it may be was placed on Jesus Christ. And when Jesus became our sin, the God of heaven turned his back on his son. Now you gotta understand something. Jesus had always been with God. I wanna remind you, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. He didn't start with start. He started start. Before there was a was, he was. He was with God from the beginning. And the only time he was separated from his Father was when he became our sin. That's why he didn't refer to him as Father. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? I came here. My people, the Jewish people, they forsook me. My disciples forsook me. My friends forsook me. And now God, you have forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? You understand something? Outer darkness. He was in excruciating pain. Separated from God. What is hell? Outer darkness. Excruciating pain. Separated from God. You come up close. Jesus took your hell so you'd never have to go to hell. Jesus took your hell so you'll never have to go to hell. And what Jesus took on the cross is what we'll take for all eternity if we don't take Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Number five, words of thirst. Look what he said in John 19. Knowing all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, the fifth thing he said was, I thirst. He had gone 18 hours without anything to drink. He had been scourged. You say, Pastor, that means he took 40 stripes. No, you got to understand. That means a, a, a whip with nine leather strippings, the pieces of metal and bone on the end of that whip went into his back. That means 360 times indentions were made into his body. 360 times bleeding from every part of his body, dehydrated, and he said, I thirst. Ladies and gentlemen, the one who turned the water into wine 
said, I thirst. The one who measured the water out in the hollow of his hands literally said, I thirst. The sixth thing he said were words of completion. In John 19, look what the Bible says. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar. And they put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, Tedlestai, or it is finished. It is finished. Hyssop. Exodus 12, verse 22. God said, I'm going to deliver the children of Israel from bondage. I'm going to smite the firstborn of Egypt. But he said, I'm going to pass over, the death angel is going to pass over and to protect the Egyptian homes. He said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to take that blood and you put that blood on top of the door and you put that blood on the sides of the door, on top of the door and on the sides of the door. It was a cross. And he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. But he said, don't you just take the blood. You take a hyssop. You take a piece of hyssop. And you put that blood on the sides of the door and on top of the door. And ladies and gentlemen, when they took that hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. Jesus knew what that hyssop was paid for. He knew what that hyssop was made for. And that's why Jesus cried out, it is finished. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't say I am finished. He said it is finished. The plan of salvation is finished. It's been paid in full by the blood of the lamb. Charles Spurgeon said, morality may keep you out of jail, but only the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. Only the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. Let me give you one more and I'm done. What's the last thing he said from the cross? It was words of confidence. Look what he said in Luke 23. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in two. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Pastor, what's it talking about? The veil of the temple. Well, it was the curtain of the temple. See, once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. It was protected by the veil of the temple. Only one person could go in. 
the mercy seat was there and the Shekinah glory of God shined down on that mercy seat. And that high priest would go in and he would take a blood sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen, and he would sprinkle it seven times on that mercy seat. And that meant the people's sins were covered for one more year. But Jesus looked and he saw the veil of the temple. <laughs> it was rent into not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. <laughs> because it was not an act of man, it was an act of God. <laughs> And the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom because what God was saying, all people can have access to me now. All people can have access to me now. All people can have access to me now. All people can come into all glory. You're not hearing me. All people can come into my presence now. All people can talk to me now. All people can have a relationship with me now. All people can have fellowship with me now. Oh, let me. Hebrews. Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, folks. I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm about to run. I mean that. I'm about to run. I, I'm so close. I'm so close to running this morning. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. You said, well, pastor, uh, help me out. Who is he? Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus! Oh, oh mercy, oh mercy. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Wait, it only, it only gets gooder. Right back there sits my door pelt. I have been preaching to her for 34 years, and it tears her apart when I use words like gooder. She's an English major, gooder. I don't know if it's a word or not, but oh, it does get better because look what verse 16 says. Because of that, because of what Jesus did, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, let's just give him praise. No, let's just give him praise. Let's just give him praise. Let's just give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're not getting off that quick. Sit back down. Evangelist. Willard Cantillon, 
he would travel and he would have his song evangelist Al Gar who traveled with him he would put up a big tent and he'd preach and he'd just preach and one night they'd put the tent up and there was a man who was deep in sin he said I was so deep in sin and sin will always listen closely folks it will take you further than you want to go it will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will make you pay more than you ever want to pay sin will fascinate and then it will assassinate sin will thrill and then it will kill and this man to his own admission said sin had destroyed my life and he said I was in a deep depression and he said I knew there was a bridge that I could jump off and end my life but he said I didn't realize a church service was going on close to that bridge but nevertheless he said I went made my way to the bridge and he said I started hearing some music that old song says it's not the song it says he came to me when I could not come to where he was he came to me and he said I heard a song I heard the words, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you and he said I said to myself maybe there's even room for me and I walked inside that tent and gave my life to Jesus Christ look here folks I don't care what you've done there's room at the cross for you I was not raised in church. From the earliest I can remember, our life was associated with alcohol. From package stores to nightclubs, to whiskey selling illegally. I knew nothing about church, but I'm so grateful, folks, that there was room at the cross for me. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know who's watching, but there's room at the cross for you, sir. There's room at the cross for you, ma'am. Though millions have come, oh, thank God. Thank God there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Rock Springs Church. If you would like more information about Rock Springs, be sure to follow us on social media 
or connect with us at rockspringsonline.com. Join us right here next week for another message from Rock Springs Church.